Good morning, church family. This is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it, and it's good to be together here in the house of the Lord. And if this is your first Sunday here, I just want to extend a very warm welcome to you. Um, uh, we're just so happy to, to be together worshiping. Um, my name is Randy, and I'm the lead minister here at the church. Um, I would love a few moments of your time uh, after the services. Uh, I'll be in a place, my wife and I, Sarah, uh, along with our elders and staff, We'll be in a place called the Fireside Room through these glass doors and to the right. It's kind of our hospitality area, and it would just delight me to no end to uh, just to spend a little bit of time with you. And, and if you have any prayer requests or encouragements, we want to we hear both. Um, we do remember our prayer requests uh, each Tuesday morning in our staff meeting and also uh, at our elders meeting, which we have one this Tuesday night. And if you... Uh, would like for us to remember your prayer request specifically, please, uh, there's a card in front of you, and if you'll just fill it out, or if you want to let us know on the app, send us a message, uh, we'll, get that, uh, we'll get that on our prayer list. Also, if you just are uh, wanting to know what next steps are at Windsor Road, we've got a card, card for that too, so uh, we want to, uh, want to stay connected and in communication as much as possible. Now, I want to give you all a reminder, what time is the service next week outdoors? 10 a.m., that's right. So if you come now, you'll be early, and that's okay. Uh, all right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but we're going to start at 10, all right? And so, uh, and it's going to be a great day. We're looking forward to uh, just a time of uh, worship together. We'll have one combined service. Uh, we're we're going to have just an, kind of an old-fashioned church outing, picnic, and uh, bring your lawn chair with you. And it's a great Sunday to be thinking about someone that you'd like to invite this week and uh, just introduce them to Jesus and his people. So uh, next Sunday, the big event, 10 a.m. Central Time, Champaign, Illinois. All right. Also, listen, um, Chester, good morning. Just want to let you know we are praying for you. Saw you last night in your hospital room, and I said I'd give you a shout-out, and now I have. So anyway, we love you. We love you. We love you. So, um, so, so there. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, all right, all right. So uh, we're going to enter our teaching time here at the church, and we are right now studying through Jesus' parables. We're in a season where we're studying Jesus' parables, and we're learning that they are uh, earthly stories about heavenly realities. So we're going to step into another parable this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at two parables this morning. Matthew 13 verses 44 to 46. Now just to give you a heads up about what's coming, what, what we're going to be reading here and and a learning this morning is so today's parables talk about the difference between being a fan of Jesus versus a follower of Jesus a fan is an enthusiastic admirer a follower is all in a fan is a spectator 
A follower is a servant. A fan knows about Jesus. A follower knows Jesus. A fan cheers when things are going well. A follower commits no matter what. Through the storm, we sang, he is Lord of all. And what we're going to learn from this passage is perhaps that the biggest threat to Christianity is fans who call themselves Christians, but they're not really interested in following Christ. They want to get... They want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Hear these words from the Word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. This is God's word. So they called it the Saddle Ridge Hoard. The Saddle Ridge Hoard. They called it Saddle Ridge because it was named after a hill near their property, Saddle Ridge. And they called it a hoard because it's the largest known discovery of buried gold in United States history. It happened in 2013, February of 2013. In the gold country of Sierra Nevada, California, a couple was walking their dog. It was actually their property. And it was on a path that they had taken, they don't know how many times. And then one day on that walk, uh, one of them saw an old can kind of sticking out of the ground. Kind of got their curiosity. And they started digging, and Eureka! Eight metal cans held more than 1,400 gold coins. 1,400. It was denominated at $5, $10, and $20. Uh, Dated from 1847 to 1894. Most of them were minted in San Francisco. A combined face value of $27,000, but they've been appraised at over $10 million. And they just found it. And nobody knows how those cans got buried there, or what the story is, or who the coins might have originally belonged to. Somebody could have buried them and then died before they let anybody know where they were. Or maybe they forgot they had something, or, or they moved, or whatever. Could have been some kind of robbery deal. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But the couple knows now that it's theirs. They, they found it. Huh? Yeah. That's right. 
And uh, I haven't told you their names because they haven't told anybody their names. It, it, right? It's anonymous. They, they've chose to remain anonymous. Uh, and they're not disclosing the location where they found the gold coins either. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> right? <laughs> they, and they don't want visitors on their property. <laughs> okay? All right. The Saddle Ridge Horde, February 2013. Now, can you just put yourself in that field for just a moment? Can you just put yourself there? You're just out, you know, you're out on a walk. You're doing your daily routine. And then, and then just you're ambushed by this, by stumbling onto something of innumerable worth, a, a, a treasure of priceless proportions. And, and, and you, you shake your head in disbelief. I mean, can you just for a moment grasp the thrill and the, the, the adrenaline, the rush of a life-changing find? A life-changing find. And, and if you can just do that for just a moment, all right, then, then you've got a good chance of understanding what it's like to step into the saving reign of Jesus Christ. Because that's where we're going here with this parable. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, uh, out of his joy, from his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. My opening illustration kind of breaks down for a little bit because that couple already kind of owned the property. But, but here's someone who just stumbles upon this treasure and, I mean, it's a changer. It's a life-changing experience. Now, now, in the time of Christ, and actually in many cultures today, people uh, deposited money or treasures in places other than banks. Sometimes banks fail, you know. And so that kind of, uh, that kind of, 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 of mentality, so I'm going I'm, I'm to bury, I'm going to bury my valuables. I'm going to bury it on property i'm going to hide it under a mattress or in a wall or in a crawl space and then and then of course back then you've got you've got uh, war-torn countries uh where land might exchange hands several times and it's not just back then it's today uh, add to that how common it would be for owners to bury something and then just forget where they put it right forget where they buried it perhaps verse 44 describes a laborer in a field and the blade of his plow rams into something while he's doing his work and, and he rams into something he's got to stop what's going on there's a box he opens the box and his eyes widen like saucers he's never seen what he's seen before, ever. The silver, gold, gems. And, and, and he's looking at it, and then all of a sudden he looks around. Right? Did anybody else just see this? And then he, 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 he tucks it tightly to his chest. And then, and then he thinks, he thinks, he thinks, he thinks, okay, okay, 
all right, all right. And then he rehides it, puts it back, right? And he rushes home, and he puts everything, I mean everything, up for sale. What's his problem? Can you imagine that conversation at the dinner table that night? What are you doing? What are you doing? I can't say, I can't say. He's just happy. He's just happy. What, what? And he impoverishes himself to purchase the field, the entire field. So he doesn't simply buy a cubic yard of dirt where the treasure was hidden. He bought everything in the field, including the sinkholes and the, and, and the, and the heaps and the poison ivy and the field mice and the mosquitoes and all that came with it too. I mean, he's immersed in joy, in joy. And it's a humble joy. You know, he doesn't go arrogantly parading his knowledge in front of everybody. He, he hid the treasure in the field and he made plans to purchase the field before anybody could figure out what he was up to. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like that. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, now let me save you from a trip to the fireside room to ask me, Maybe the question that you're asking right now. Not that I don't want you to come to the fireside room, but, but anyway, someone's thinking, okay, okay, wait a minute. Was this ethical? Was this ethical? That's, that's the question. Totally understand the question. It, it's a question that comes from someone who's observing the text. It's not relevant, though, to the point Jesus is making. And let me explain that. First of all, cultures had a variety of laws and customs regarding lost, overlooked, or, or discovered or rediscovered property. I mean, that's just, that's a historical fact. And so, so sometimes we're reading a 2,000-year-old text through our 21st century lenses, and we need to get outside of our world and step into their world a little bit. Secondly, I, I can see from the text itself that Jesus' audience did not wrestle with that question. There's nothing in the text that indicates that they wrestled with that question. So, so it's reasonable to assume that from their perspective, the, what the finder did was legit, all right? And, and, the, and that's why he bought the entire land, because he wanted undisputed ownership, okay? So with that in mind, think with me through the logic of the find here this guy is going about his life uh, he's just doing life when there's this unexpected discovery there's this revelation he, he now knows something that he did not know but now that he knows something he needs to do something See, it's not enough simply to know it he needs to take action. So the text says, in his joy, out of his joy, from the posture of joy, he goes out and sells everything, then buys the field. See, you see that? You see the order there? See where the joy came? The joy came after the finding, okay? Not the selling and the buying, but the finding, the joy and why? We know why. Because what he found in the field was worth more than what would be paid for the field. So it's a very easy decision. 
And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what it's like to step into the realm of my saving reign. And then Jesus said, again, again, verse 45. Like he's saying, I'm not kidding about this. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So, so there's this merchant man. That's the literal phrase. He's a merchant man. He's in the pearl business. It's his job. He goes to the Red Sea and he gets pearls there. Pretty common pearls they are. Oh, once in a while he takes a trip to the Persian Gulf. They're big and they're beautiful there. Sometimes he catches a shipment from India. He's always on the hunt for quality pearls. He, he buys, he sells, he trades. That's how he makes a living. He's a journeyman pearl trader. He's a road warrior. He's doing well, but he's looking for the big one. Huh? Yeah, one day he shows up early before the market opens. He's always done that. And he's kind of looking over the stock, looking over, seeing what, seeing what he could trade. And he's about ready to turn away because it's just another day when his eye catches something. He sees it. He sees it. Jesus says he sees kalos, kalos. He sees the good pearl, the fine pearl, the exquisite pearl. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He can't believe his eyes. It's the finest, most glorious pearl his eyes have ever beheld. Oh, it must be fake. No, no, no. It's real. It's real. He knows He's a journeyman trader. He's been in the business long enough. And, and, and he, knows, he knows the real one when he sees it. And he sees it. And now he can't believe it. And, and, and he can't believe it because it's there. And he can't believe it because no one else has seen it. I mean, he's, he becomes kind of giddy. And he makes arrangements. And he sells everything. He sells his livestock, he sells his pearls, he sells his business, he sells his home, He's, he sells, he liquidates it all just to get this one pearl. And once secure, once he obtains it, he floats away. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is now out of the pearl business. he'll never buy another pearl again. I mean, you know why, right? Because he, there can be no more beautiful pearl. That's it. That's it. It was his last purchase ever. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Huh. Yeah. A treasure pearl, a worker, a merchant. One of them stumbled on it. The other had been searching for it his entire life. One was poor. One was not so poor. Two parables, different, but they tell the same story, don't they? 
and the repetition is for emphasis. Both had an epiphany. Both saw something of immense value and splendor and beauty. Both detected what for some reason others didn't see. And both understood that there's no half measures to securing these treasures. There's no trying it out for 30 days. Both see that it's an all or nothing venture. Yes, there's risk. There's a decision to make. And that decision would forever alter the course of their lives. And it would change not simply their future, but their present how they live, how they parent. If married, it would change their marriage. Nothing in their lives would be untouched by this decision. Can you hear what Jesus is saying? His kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is worth any and every sacrifice you make to obtain it. That's what, it's that valuable. It's that precious. Jesus is worth everything. Everything. Losing everything on earth, but gaining the kingdom. It's, it's a happy trade. It's a, and it's, it's, it's such a happy trade, and it's worth so much that the Apostle Paul would, would later say in Philippians 3, 7, and it's a verse that I think is the best commentary on, on these two parables, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Circle that word counted. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, there's no price too high, no sacrifice too great, because the benefits by far outweigh the price. Jesus is worth it. And let's be clear, church family, I don't want to be misunderstood. The kingdom of heaven is not for sale. So, so we don't literally buy the kingdom. Please don't walk away from the parable with that. We, we can't do anything to earn it. People sometimes say, I want to get right with God. I'll do whatever it takes. The glory and the treasure of the gospel is this. You don't have to do a thing to lay hold of it. Jesus does all that is necessary. So, so we, we receive his rule and his blessings by grace alone through faith alone. The, the supreme treasure of the kingdom uh, we obtain by grace through faith in the, in the king's gospel, the good news. That is the good news. Jesus is the gospel. But were it for sale, the, the parable instructs us. If we had to peddle all we had to get it, it'd be a bargain. It'd be, it, it, it took all he had, but the worker bought the field. It, it took all he had, but the merchant bought the pearl. H having the all-knowing, all-powerful, saving reign of Jesus in our lives is so valuable that we're willing to lose everything in order to have it. That's, the, that's, what, we're, that's what we're learning here in, 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 the, in the palace of these two parables. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said, He who has God and everything else 
has no more than he who has God only. And why? Because the kingdom of heaven is about a who, not a where. When Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven, and you can see that phrase repeated several times in Matthew chapter 13. When he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about a set of geographical coordinates. He's not talking about land mass or physical boundaries. It's not like Sarah and I get up on a Saturday morning and say, let's drive over to the kingdom of heaven today. The kingdom of heaven is not a where. It's a who. It's a who. The kingdom of heaven is about this question. Who rules my life? Who gets to call the shots? The kingdom of heaven asserts the unchallenged authority of Jesus Christ over my life. The the kingdom of heaven is about my coming under the leadership and under the influence of Christ. So really there's just two kingdoms here. There's either the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of Randy. And Christ's kingdom has Christ at the center. Uh, Write down Romans chapter 11, verse 36. Romans eleven thirty-six. 36. That's a good verse to describe the kingdom of Christ. Romans eleven thirty-six 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So, so you take that into every area of your life. My marriage has come from Christ. My marriage is to be lived unto Christ. And my marriage exists because of the grace of Christ. My children are from Christ. My children belong to Christ. My children will only be what they were meant to be through Christ's love and grace. My possessions are from Christ. They belong to Christ. And they are kept by means of Christ's care. There is nothing in your life that does not belong to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to submit to Christ's kingdom. Amen? The kingdom of heaven means that Christ sits in the captain's chair of my life. His ruling power enters my life. Christianity is not a a list of codes. It's a person who rules my heart. I've experienced a change. I'm shaken. I'm humbled. Jesus' influence affects my motives, my goals, and my hopes. My motives. My motives. So to be in the kingdom means that Christ really is the reason why I do everything I do. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. I want to know him. I want to be part of his work on earth. I want to please him with my life. I want to value what he values. I want his purpose for me to define my purpose for myself. To be in the kingdom of heaven means that my decisions are more about what pleases him than what pleasures me. My motives, my goals. My goals to be in the kingdom of Christ means that I willingly submit every other attainable glory in my life to the one glory that has captured my heart, the glory of Christ, the glory of Christ. I want his desires kept. I want his purposes to prevail. I I no longer act and speak and choose and exist for purposes of my own glory. No, no, I found something way more wonderful and beautiful. Jesus is who gives my life direction and joy. Jesus, Jesus. Then there are my hopes. 
The, the kingdom of heaven is now the driving force in my life. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, Christ's rule, Christ's reign is he is who gets me up in the morning. And when Christ is my hope, he becomes the one person on whom I rest my life. He is my adequacy. He is my adequacy. And, and he is why the kingdom is such a prize. Because you see, Jesus relieves my inadequacies he removes my greatest inadequacy which is my sin he bears the punishment that i deserve and then and then he he alleviates my lesser inadequacies by placing me in a church family of brothers and sisters where we pray for one another and encourage one another and love one another, and serve one another, and demonstrate the grace of Christ to one another. Why? Well, because we can afford to now, because we have the pearl of great price. We, we're no longer in the pearl business anymore because we have the one pearl. We have the treasure we can afford to. So, so, so now I don't have to manipulate or control or threaten my way to get what I want. I don't have to come in here and, and I, I can go to a Bible study and I don't have to worry about how inadequate that I might feel because I don't know if I'm going to know as much as someone else or if, if the preacher says to turn to the book of Micah I don't know where Micah is and it's okay it, it is okay it's okay because we're family here and we're just going to help one another okay and you don't you don't have to prove yourself in this space Isn't, so you have a space or you can come, or you don't have to prove that you're adequate enough. I, so Sarah and I have been watching the last two weeks the U.S. Open tennis tournament in New York. And um, Coco Goff won yesterday. Incredible athleticism uh, with all of the competitors. But one of the things that Coco said um, in the interview following her victory was that she was just able to relax more out on the court because she knew that she was the beloved daughter of her parents. Win or lose. Win or lose. They were going to love her. You know, no more if she won, no, no less if she lost. And that just empowered her to be free, to display the gifts that she's been able to display. And, and it was particularly moving when she won match point, that after collapsing on the court, she then raced up into the bleachers of the thousands and thousands there, 
found her parents, hugged her father. You're in a space here where you are adequate because Jesus has made us and declared us adequate. By ourselves, we're not adequate. In him, we are pearl of great price adequate. Hallelujah, Jesus. Well, let me close with some lessons for us here. Lesson number one. Jesus is priceless, though not always obvious. Right? Uh, so, so, so this parable questions us. This parable coaxes us to evaluate ourselves. If, if our spiritual hearing is dull, would we like clarity? If we are superficial, would we like depth and stability and endurance? If distracted, if distracted, do we want to break free from burdens that keep our eyes down, our minds numb, and our spirits inadequate? You see, that's why Jesus told these parables. He's sifting the audience. Do, do you really want? Do you really want the, what I want to give you? Can the Savior you seek? actually save you so so what do you want what do you want uh at the tournament the last two weeks i guess they changed some of the rules the players could receive coaching but here's the problem the coaches weren't like on the court floor you know they were in coaches boxes and their voices were competing with the voices of 15,000 other fans. And so the players had to constantly be looking at their coach. Looking and trying to listen and trying to hear. Listen, the 15,000 voices in your life are not going to go away. You know that. But there's one voice that we need to fix our attention to. God, help me hear you. Help me hear you. He who has ears, let him hear. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is this. The kingdom of heaven demands total commitment, not little by little experimentation. The kingdom of heaven demands total commitment, not little by little experimentation. So, so there's an old hymn that's titled, I Surrender All. Some of you grew up in church, you heard that hymn. I surrender all, all to, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. The name of the hymn is not I surrender some. Okay. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven halfway. Jesus doesn't bargain. He, he doesn't say, look, give me 20% of your life and let's see how it goes and then the next month we'll shoot for 40%. No. No, that's not how it works. It's total transformation. It's, it's conversion to a new dimension, a new realm. Either Christ is your king or you are your king. There's no middle ground. And, and, and why, does, why is it that absolute? Because whenever you split loyalties, Jesus always gets the short end. So you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. And I understand. 
how absolute this sounds. Our world likes to approach the Bible and to take it in degrees. Our world likes to cherry pick, you know. You know, some of the things in the Bible I can accept and a few things I just can't. I said, well, all right, all right, really? I mean, so, question, on what basis do you decide that any verse is right and wrong for you? So, so either the Bible has evaluative authority over me or me over the Bible. Which is it? So, so this means, by the way, brothers and sisters, if you are an all-in Christian, there will certainly be things in the Bible that will grate on you. I and mean, if you don't struggle to believe God's Word, are you reading it? I mean, 2 Peter 3, 16, 2 Peter 3, 16, the Apostle Peter says this about the Apostle Paul's letters. There are some, this is what Peter says about Paul's letter. The Apostles are talking about another Apostle's letters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Peter says that about Paul. Now, it, listen, if Peter said that, some of what Paul wrote is hard to understand, believe him. And, and, and make peace with it. And trust Christ. Biblical faith is never a blind leap in the dark. It is, it's a decision based on evidence. And the, our key evidence, classic exhibit A, is an empty tomb. Yeah. Lesson number three. The kingdom of heaven offers otherworldly joy. In his joy, he went and sold. So the, so the joy went before the sacrifice, not after. He felt the joy, then out of the joy, he sacrificed. Now, now how does that apply to us? I mean, because right now, we don't see Christ glorified. And we don't experience the new heavens and the new earth. So how can you have joy when you see things being sold off? Here's how. Here's how. This is important. Do the math. That's how. Do the math. Do the math. Uh, in their joy, these in the parables sacrificed everything because they knew what was coming. They did the math. They did the accounting. Both realized what they, whatever they gave up, it was, a, it was a sacrifice, and yet it wasn't a sacrifice because what was gained far outweighed the price. Listen, here's Paul. Here's Paul. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And then Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says twice in that section, I count. Count. That's an accountant. Accountancy term. It, here's what it means. It means that Paul logged in to his spiritual bank account. You know, put the username in, put the password in, and you see your accounts. Paul checked his accounts every day. Every day he logged in and counted his treasures in Christ. Every day he logged in and counted his blessings in Christ. Every day he logged in and considered the beauty and the splendor of what Christ did for him in his death and burial and resurrection. Every day Paul logged in and was ravished by the riches of Christ. Question, question, question. In your daily prayer and scripture reading time with God, do you, do you see that as a spiritual chore? Or do you think of it 
as your opportunity to be ravished by the riches of God, to reckon and tally all the blessings and the gifts and the spiritual riches that have been given to you by our very gracious God. And as you gaze upon those riches, you just say, oh God, how can I ever fail to love you and thank you in light of this? You, you, you count what you have in Christ and humility and gratitude overwhelm you. The, the reason why you get the real treasure is because you're getting the real king. And when you have the real king and the right king in place in your heart, peace and joy follow. It's true. It's true. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. If you don't have strong faith in a, in, in a resurrected body on a resurrected earth, worshiping and serving the resurrected Christ, I mean, if you don't believe that, then all you're left with is the first half of that verse. Ah, but Paul says glory is coming. Glory is coming. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction, and in that little phrase of all the sufferings and bruises and beatings and infections that he received for following Christ, he says it's light and momentary is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you believe that? Yeah. One last lesson, then I want to sit down. Not everybody comes to Jesus the same way. Hmm? You see that in the parables? You know, in both parables, each discovers something of great value. Each grasps its worth, and each is willing to give up everything for the treasure. But in the second parable, in the second parable, well, in the first parable, the, the man stumbles on the treasure. In the second parable, the merchant is seeking the treasure. You see that? He knows exactly what he's looking for. See? Well, that's us. Those, those are our stories here. Some of us are here almost by accident, almost by accident. You know, you were, you were looking for a church and you just came, right? And here you are. Yeah. And others have been investigating and seeking and searching. And in, in both cases, God sovereignly acts. And by the way, that's another reason why we're having the big event next week. Because you see, next week, some are going to wake up Sunday morning and they wouldn't have had any idea that they're going to be coming to a church service. But people are gathering outside. What's that about? And they're going to come in. It happens, folks. It happens. And then others will have been searching and searching and seeking and investigating, and, and they're going to hear Jesus next week. They're going to hear Jesus from his word and see Jesus in his people. That is a big event. Amen? That's what next Sunday's about. And all of this, all of this, is because God has initiated his love to us. John said this in John, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. And that's why he's worth everything. Mm. You know, 
Both the man and the merchant did whatever it took in order to possess what was valued so highly, even to the point of selling everything. As I look at these two parables, as I think about communion, which is to come here next in the service, isn't that what Jesus did so that he could possess us? See, weren't we buried and lost and invisible? Weren't we hidden away beneath the challenges and dangers brought on by our own sin, by the hostile world around us, and by the great enemy and father of lies, the devil? Aren't you glad that Christ went looking for us? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, we've been found. Christ purchased us at the price of everything he had. He impoverished himself so that we could become rich. We are his treasure in this breathtaking reckoning of grace. You're not here by accident today. Jesus sees you as the pearl of great price. Jesus wants you. Jesus desires you. Yeah. Yeah, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 say, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It wasn't because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. King Jesus rose, defeated Pharaoh, redeemed us, and we're on our journey home. Is that not good news or what? Secure in that, in his adequacy, we can follow him. He who has ears, let him hear. Amen? Heavenly Father.